0: This is a crowd Podcast. Hello, I'm Geraint Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Geraint Thomas
1: Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift, the indoor cycling app. Jump on your smart trainer and jump into Zwift. Closer or Welcome. Tom, how's it going? Good thanks, G. Yeah. Um yeah. I'm surprised to be talking to you today in some ways. Not because you're in your bright orange Ineos training kit and you've been out on your bike, because that happens at this time of year, but there's something else going on today, isn't there? Um that might mean we didn't have a chat. Yeah. You're on about your birthday. I am. I'm very subtly pushing you towards my birthday. Now it's not a massively, <laughs> massively significant birthday. That will come next year. That is the point when all the over-50s in the Northwest Cyclocross League will look over their shoulders in fear.
0: <laughs> yeah, well,
1: Pembloid Apis, Tom. Happy birthday. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um Your birthday always falls in a point of the season when you're actually training quite hard, doesn't
0: it? It does, yeah, or racing. Um This year, possibly racing, because it's end of May, so... Giro time. Exactly, yeah. And it's normally a bloody hard stage as well. If it was a sprint day, it'd be better, wouldn't it? But it's normally the last sort of three or four days where, and as we all know, the Giro likes to end, well, difficulty level five, you know? It's uh, Every stage is pretty hard. So, um, yeah, that's going to be an interesting, interesting one. Actually, a few years ago, well, as was more than a few years ago, when I was in Barla World, I had my birthday and um I just had a couple of beers in the evening, nothing crazy. You know, I didn't want to get drunk because we had a mountain time trial the next day. I must have had three or four. Anyway, do this mountain time trial. It was at altitude, gravel road. Cars couldn't even follow us. One of those type of stages, you know, had a motorbike with spares on the back. Get to the top. I thought I was going to be sick, Tom. <laughs> it was horrendous. Like As if the, the that just riding up that mountain wasn't hard enough for the altitude and everything and the exertion you had to put on. I think I definitely felt a couple of those beers the next day. I learned my lesson then. Do you remember on
1: Blue Peter when it used to be one of the cats or dogs birthdays and they'd always make this cake out of dog food, which actually looked quite attractive, but was still dog food. Do you find that if you are racing or training and you're away with INEOS on your birthday, that they will try and make you a sort of surrogate cake, which is actually disgusting because it has to be healthy?
0: Yeah, kind of. I've had quite a few birthdays up in Tenerife and um, yeah, we've had a couple of healthy cakes, which is just Mm. like pathetic there's no point just don't give me a cake there's no point yeah but um but then a few times i've had a decent one and um had my 30th up there actually sar came up i think she regretted that when she realized how boring (laughs) it was up there but um yeah i don't have ever i think i might have had one birthday like at home since i was like 18 i've always been racing or away training camp and stuff so um no different this year either, all being well. What's the strategy then? Do you
1: have a second birthday when you get home? Like, do it properly?
0: Yeah, a bit like the queen, you know, or the king now. I think uh, try and have a couple of birthdays, really. Um, you know, you might go out for a nice meal before you go away or after. You might get a couple of cards that SAR's slipped into my bag or whatever. But, yeah, that's about it, really. It's pretty um, pathetic. But they're enjoyable. Yeah. Well, Segway
1: Claxon. because um, if i weren't receiving one already as being chairman of the gtcc perhaps the ideal gift for me on my birthday would be our new hoodies which
0: are currently available at gtccstore.com wow i think i might have got you a little surprise in the post tom you never know can i just say as well i don't just wear my kit like this i haven't been sat at home for two hours i literally just got back through the door i still got oil on my hands i had another well i just had a puncture I could do with this mechanic. Where's this full-time mechanic, Tom? Where did you go today? Up in the hills? Well, actually, started the day, I rode with um, George Russell. So, I met him, uh, Jim Radcliffe, the big boss of Ineos and Dave B. We rode along to Ventimiglia in Italy. Um, it's about an hour or so. Stopped for a coffee. The co- I think the coffee stop was longer than the ride, actually. <laughs> Had a few coffees. I did, I stayed away from the croissants. You know, I was, especially when the boss is around, you got to, be professional having your Tom. <laughs> <laughs> do,
1: do you find when you're riding with Dave and Jim Radcliffe that you have to either just let them sit on your wheel because they pay the bills or that you have to pretend that you're really tired and that Jim Radcliffe has dropped you and you're like whoa Jim that's so quick I'm an elite rider and I can't ki- keep
0: up with you you must be in incredible shape. <laughs> um, no I'm more the other end just like I like to squeeze on a bit and let them show oh. them that you know Who's boss on the road, Tom? They might <laughs> Show be them where boss, their money's but... going. <laughs> yeah. that no, it was a nice steady ride out there. It's a bit up and down, but um, yeah, it was nice blue skies. Lovely ride. Um, then rode home and then I carried on training and yeah, as I said, punctured about 20 minutes after leaving them. And these tyres we got, they're like um, no clinchers with the inner tube. Yeah. We've got them now for training, but... Why? Well, it's... I guess if you punch her, you just change the tube, but rather than tubeless, it's a bit more... But they're more likely
1: to puncture, aren't they? This is one of the great debates in cycling. Yes, exactly. And um,
0: yeah, it was, it was the same wheel that you can put tubeless tyres on, so it was really tight. I need new thumbs, like just to get them on and off. Like, you'd be
1: screwed. How's your thumb, by the way? It'd be no good for taking tyres off whatsoever. I'd need, to, <laughs> I'd need to hail a
0: passerby with my robot hand and get them to help me out. Yeah, and I didn't have a pump. So, I don't take a pump with me because I'm always a bit like, ah, be all right. Um, and every year I end up buying a pump eventually and I attach it to my bike, go to training camp. First thing I do, take the bracket thing off. That gets lost. And I don't bother having a pump for the rest of the year and then until November comes round again. But, um, but yeah, so I had to drive up. and Max drove up with, with a track pump to meet me. Um, so, yeah, and then oh, towards the end of the ride, then I had to go to the dentist because I had a dentist appointment because I had a tooth out last week. So it's quite an eventful ride, really. And then get back and straight on this to you. So,
1: Well, there is a little bit more bad news for your day, G, um, because for this year at least you haven't been crowned Cycling Weekly's male rider of the year. The silver lining to this is that the honour this time around has gone to Tom Peacock, former guest on the gtcc and cycling weekly's female ride of the year is none other than zoe bagsted who is another former guest on gtcc and i like to think both of them are members so it's not all bad news yeah big congrats to them they you know people can go back and listen to those episodes as well if they want good shout when you won it in the past what is the prize is it um
0: a trophy is there some sort of champagne nothing actually i think it's just to oh. get a a few sentences in the magazine yeah I did find out the other day though I won comeback of the year from um the cycling podcast did you You yeah I get a mug is that is that
1: entirely a good thing or is it does it show that the fact is a comeback that you'd gone quite low
0: well yeah that's the thing it was kind of like they did ask me did I see it as a comeback I was kind of like well not really to be honest but you know I'll take it any any prize you want to give me wins a win.
1: It's a little bit like getting the most improved player, isn't it, when you're a kid in the football team and immediately you think this is great, I've won a prize and you think they must have thought I was rubbish before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they didn't know what they were watching before, did they? Then they realised, got magic in these feet. Exactly. Um, If you're listening to this and you've got any other suggestions for guests in the new year, get in touch on all the socials, usual places or on email gtcc at crowdnetwork.co.uk and let us know. In the meantime, G, we have a guest today who is excellent and we are very excited about. Shall we get her on? Let's do it. Gee, I am delighted to announce that we have got Momentus back on board as a sponsor for a series three of the GTCC. Momentus, a little bit like you, G, are dedicated to optimizing both the mind and body, and they're leading the way for high performance seekers at all levels. Right, so for those not familiar with Momentus, G, tell us all about their flagship product.
0: Yeah, so PR lotion is something I've used on my body for years, Tom. It basically delivers bicarb directly to your muscles via your skin and bypasses the gut which I don't know if you have ever drunk bicarb Tom but that's a big plus. The best time to use it I find is an hour and a half before your workout on Zwift or out on the road or whatever you're doing and it's not too sticky either. It doesn't get stuck in your hairs if you've forgotten to shave and it definitely helps me train harder.
1: All of this is true G. It is actually scientifically proven to improve performance and decrease muscle soreness and helps you make all those training goals. If you want to get your hands on some PR Lotion, momentous are giving GTCC members, that's you listening right now, yes you,
0: 25% off. Give them the code G. Just head over to prlotion.com and use the code GTCC2022 to get 25% off today. Enjoy. Our guest today, Tom, is a proper off-road superstar. She's been World Mountain Bike Champion, Commonwealth Games Mountain Bike Champion, Double World Under-23 Cyclocross Champion. Welcome to the GTCC, Evie Richards. Welcome.
2: Do oh, I say hello? <laughs> Hi. <laughs>
0: I got to say, I said to Tom just now, when you came on, you've been, the, I think, the most energy and the brightest guest we've ever had
2: it's because i'm always running late so i'm i'm always dashing around so need to have energy for that i think
0: i was saying to tom you could do our adverts for us there's always me like (laughs) welcome to the gtcc yeah i'll come
2: back and do those for you
0: (laughs) loving the energy you can tell you yeah i don't know typical like off-roader you all seem really just relaxed outgoing you know friendly you know road track riders can seem a bit more reserved a bit more british almost whereas mountain bikers are a bit more american almost you know being very (laughs) stereotypical now but yeah no it's great loving the energy
2: now we have a good group when we go away we've got a really good group and there's yeah there's definitely a few americans on our team but i think it's a good environment i've been on a couple of road camps and the mountain bike vibe is yeah quite different i think to that road team environment
0: yeah i did one mountain bike race ever I think and that was a nationals when I was under 16 maybe And we were camping out overnight and oh it was just great it was like everyone was just so chilled out relaxed having barbecues a few drinks obviously I wasn't drinking under 16 but you know every like all the adults were drinking and it was just like such a good laugh and then you go to like the road nationals or whatever and you got all these like dead stressed pushy parents like making sure their zips are pumped up to eight bars and I don't know all sorts (laughs) of jazz but um no yeah it is a good culture I guess is the right word for it
2: yeah definitely no I went on a road camp last year and I joined I was lucky I joined um I joined the trek road team in Denia I think it was but I, like, turned, like, up to breakfast, like, in my Hawaiian, like, matching two-piece with my beach towel. (laughs) I think everyone looked at me like, oh, my God, what is this girl doing here? So, I think, yeah, but if you did that on a mountain bike camp, it would just seem normal. But definitely, yeah, felt like I stuck out, like, a bit of a sore thumb on the road camp.
0: Oh, quality, you got to own it.
1: (laughs) You had a slightly different route in, Evie, didn't you, to a lot of people who have ended up as pro riders? Because you were a really good hockey player, weren't you? And what's this story about your dad and his his bike that he got on the cycle to work scheme
2: yeah definitely like I, I just knew from a really young age I wanted to go to the Olympics it's just like from as young as I can remember it's all I all I ever wanted to do so at high school I just started every sport I was just that kid that did everything from like high jump even though I was like the shortest in my class to yeah just any sport I did everything rugby everything and then um my hockey coach, I was doing a lot of hockey, I was playing a lot at Canic Chase and he just said pick up another sport over winter and at the time cycling was literally the only thing I wasn't doing so dad had a ride to work scheme so he'd he'd bought a bike cheap and we just started like a run ride so one of us would run and the other one would ride and soon after that I got a job at a farm shop and again the only way to get there was to for me to buy a bike so I could ride next to dad. So bought a bike with my first wage, like my weekend job. And it kind of went from there, just like me and dad peddling together.
0: That's quality. I'd like, um, I was exactly the same, to be fair, when you said that. I just remember sitting in my mum and dad's front room on the carpet, watching like, when was Barcelona Olympics now? 92? 92. 92. I remember them for the first time. Is that when for Christie won? Yeah. So yeah, that was the first one I remember. And I must have been, well, I would have been six then. You weren't weren't even born then, were you, I guess?
2: No, I d I don't think so.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But um yeah, I remember watching them and just like, yeah, exactly the same feeling. Like, I wanna go to the Olympics. Like I don't care what it's in, like, whether that's swimming or athletics or anything. Well, bowls aren't in the Olympics, but they're in the commie games, aren't they? But whatever it is, like just dreaming of going to the Olympics and representing G B and standing on that podium and it's uh and it's the same with me. Like I my parents didn't ride or anything because when i was younger that was really the only way you'd get into it as if your mum and dad were into it you know whereas now obviously it's a bit different you have you know plenty of british riders performing across the board you know like you've won world championships on mountain bike you know tom as well olympics as well and you got the the track and everything that's doing and the road so it's slightly different now but back then it was a bit different wasn't it you just stood out if you were riding your bike like what are you doing that for
2: yeah definitely I felt like it definitely didn't feel like the cool thing at school like I didn't kind (sighs) of when I started riding I then just kind of found like a new like went back to a group of boys I was at primary school and nursery with and they kind of became my friends because definitely I don't think like a helmet's like the most trendy thing when you're like in sixth form and everyone's partying and you're just turning up on a on a (laughs) bike on a helmet with wearing a helmet to school so yeah definitely probably wasn't the trendiest sport it felt like at that age but I think things have changed now it seems like I think definitely quite a cool sport to go into now.
0: Yeah, uh, definitely. And what are they doing now as well, eh? I bet they wish they'd uh, joined you on those rides.
2: Yeah, no, I don't know what a lot of them do. I think <laughs> when I bump into them, they're still like, oh, you've got a proper job here, Evie. I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> like I'm still quite happy just riding for a bit longer.
1: <laughs> and why was it off-road riding that you loved, Evie, when you started? Why off-road rather than on the road?
2: Yeah, so I, th- I, I can't really remember. I think it was actually a cross bike I bought with my first wage to get to the farm shop. But um, for me, I always had like a little running route loop on the hills, which I love doing. And then when it was dad's mountain bike that I was using, I just remember feeling like really safe. I always worried when I ran on my own that someone might chase me or something. But as soon as I started on the mountain bike... But, well, if I can do this on my own, I can like ride away from them faster if someone's chasing me. So it kind of just felt like it was like a progression on from running on the hills. And then I don't think mum and dad were too fussed about me being on the roads. They always felt like they were a bit more dangerous. So they were quite happy for me to go on my own. And I was lucky that Liam Killeen, he raced in the Olympics. I watched him at Commonwealth Games. And Tracy Mosey, she was a downhill world champ as well. And they did sessions and the boys that I went to nursery with they were being coached and doing bits with Tracy and Liam so it kind of was just the road was never really there was always a little bit of an opportunity really in riding and that's what the boys were doing in the village so I I kind of just went into that and very lucky that Tracy and Liam were there really and just kind of got swooped up by them
1: and whereabouts were you riding because you're from near the Malverns aren't you and there's some lovely little cheeky trails through the hills there was that where you were going
2: yeah so literally like where my mum and dad live like 800 meters between my house and my cousin's house with all the boys that I used to ride with we literally were all neighbors all all lived on the same road and we would have like a turbo session on a Tuesday in one of the boys garage and then we'd meet up above the well above where the cafe my mum worked on on the next day and then we'd have a weekend ride together so we literally just us boys just like went out and yeah I, I was just lucky that the Malvern Hills are so good for riding and just we didn't have to go far really for to have a good training and a bit of fun. It's
0: funny you say that turbo Tuesdays like I remember when we were kids we used to go around Luke Rose house into his garage and we'd all be there on the turbos or rollers they were actually. Do you ever do roller racing?
2: No I missed out on that.
0: Oh that was so good like I haven't thought about roller racing for about 20 years I think but they were so good, you know. You'd just be there, you'd have that big clock behind you, you know. And um, say there's four of you, you'd all be four different colours. And then you'd be sprinting and you'd be doing like, I don't know how far it was, but a certain, maybe 500 metres was a lap of the clock. And you'd, uh, your needles then. So if I was red and you were blue or whatever, you'd be racing around and the guy holding you would be there, like, yeah, come on, come on, come on. Oh, they were great, roller racing. Did you ever do that, Tom? I'm terrified of rollers. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not at the same level as you two, clearly. But
1: whenever I sit, whenever I do a local cross race, and I see people on the rollers, I just think you are going to stack it.
0: You're going to fall <laughs> off. I can even get going without even holding on now, Tom. That's how pro I am at roller. That riding. is serious pro. That is yeah. I tried doing it once when uh, all the boys were over my house before a night out. You know, we'd have drinks club and we'd have like um, danger in a bowl. So you'd pour everyone's drink. You <laughs> everyone would bring a drink, pour it all into the bowl, and you'd have straws. And anyway, after this, before we go out. One of the boys sees the rollers, they're like, oh, can you ride that? Or what's that for? And I was like, oh, I ride my bike on it, you know? And they're like, nah, you can't do that. So then, you know, after a few, well, a lot to drink, trying to ride the rollers in my garage, keep falling onto the table with all the drinks. All the boys like, like, well, yeah, we we believe you, we believe you. But, yeah, I have to prove to them again at some point.
1: Evie, tell us about your first mountain bike race, because... It sounds like you weren't quite ready at that stage with some of the technical features that were coming your way,
2: yeah, I can't really remember the first one, but I remember like interregionals was probably like one of the f- first big ish kind of races, and I just remember I like led the race out there's a pitch, no one really knew like I hadn't really gone to any of the big races, so none of the girls really knew me they were all chatting on the start line and I just led the race out and then got to the first technical feature, and I think I even probably pushed it round the B line so I couldn't even like, let alone couldn't ride the A-line. I don't think I could even ride the B-line. So yeah, it definitely was pretty terrible. And even like the rollers, when I think back to those early GB camps, everyone was doing no-handed and everything. And I was struggling to get on with like two chairs by the side of me. So yeah, those technical skills were just like never, never there. I think because I started a bit later, just it's taken me a long time now to learn them. I was just quite happy going up the hills.
0: So does that take a lot of work even now? Like do you do i was chatting to pauline
2: Pravo.
0: that's the one yeah and um she was saying she rides a mountain bike twice a week for like skills and stuff so do you have to do do you do more or are you obviously at a good level now it's just more just a similar thing maintaining you
2: yeah, know i'm i'm still pretty terrible i'd say like every uh, i'm hmm. always trying to practice but i think i'm just such a baby like i'm a bit scared of heights and drops scare me so for me it's just like always like a work in progress like I have a technical coach as well as a normal coach so I I saw her at the weekend and I'm I'm gonna see her next week so me and Katie do a fair bit of work together once I get in a good routine of going up to Foster Dean um but yeah I kind of just ride whichever bike I fancy and when I wake up um but yeah, the mountain bike's always good though to practice on. it. Once I've been off it for a few times, I, I can tell definitely when I get back on it, I'm a bit rusty.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're based in the UK the whole time. You, you go away for training camps and things, but you're mainly in the UK, you, you're training and everything.
2: Yeah, I bought a little cottage next to my, like in between my grandparents and my mum and dad. Um, and yeah, I just train at home basically on my own most of the time and then go away. Like I'll just organize a little training camp with me and maybe I'll try and persuade a friend to come along with me, but it's quite like, yeah, just me trying to like organise like little training camps or whatever whenever I can.
1: So it's been a pretty miserable day in the UK when the day we're recording this EV, where I am in the northwest, it hasn't stopped raining all day. Let's say you were to wake up tomorrow morning and you went down, I don't know if you got a bike shed at the garage. Um, I'm gonna give you a choice of bike and I'd like to know which one you're gonna choose. So you've got a nice road bike in there. I'm sure you've got a mountain bike and a cross bike. Might be a time trial bike in there, I guess. Which of the list of bikes are you going for tomorrow morning?
2: If it's Well, to be fair, so I bought this house. It doesn't really have a bike room or storage or anything. So I don't have a dining room. I have a bike. My bikes have taken over the dining <laughs> room. So that's take, I don't have a table or anything. So my mum and dad have a fair few bikes of mine. So sometimes I have to run up to theirs to get another bike. But if it's like a really wet day, like I always go on the mountain bike. I love the mountain bike in the mud. Like put on full waterproofs and I'm pretty happy on life if it's raining and I'm on the mountain bike that day just stick a mud on on the front wheel and I'm kind of ready to go
1: I think we need to talk mud here G because as you know I like getting out the mountain bike I like doing cross racing and Evie there are in the same way as Eskimos have supposedly 100 different words for snow I think people who ride mountain bikes and cross bikes we could probably list about 100 different types of mud couldn't we wet, sloppy mud, loamy mud, clay mud, dry, loamy. rutty mud? What's loamy, loamy? Is the dream, G? I think you've you got the trails
2: to see. To see loamy trails, I think that's your next podcast. Get G on the trails to see loamy mud.
1: Evie, let's explain to G why loamy mud is such fun. If your if your rear wheel is digging in some nice loamy mud,
2: I wouldn't say I'm like the proper connoisseur of mud because I just I, <laughs> mud's mud. But like loamy trails is like. Well, you don't get them around here, but its like, I, I don't really know how to describe it, but it's just like a freshly cut trail that like, kind of holds your wheel um, when you okay. go around the corners, I think was how I describe it.
1: It basically doesn't happen in the UK, G, and anyone who likes mountain biking will watch mountain biking videos or look at photos, and it always seems to be happening in countries where you aren't. It either <laughs> happens in the Alps or it happens in British Columbia or somewhere like that.
0: Can you get boggy mud? Oh, yeah
2: yeah
0: oh that's that's got to be fun just going through that and just being like not knowing where you're gonna end up
2: yeah that's like the classic rides i think that's why it's just so good like when you're in like full like like downhill shoes full waterproof it just doesn't matter i think i'll have a set of spare waterproofs as well by the front door in case i get too wet change them over and go again so hmm. yeah the, the mud on the mountain bike's pretty fun
0: like you said about the rain like going out on your mountain bike i've only done it a couple of times but you just get so warm so quick like I can see when it's a wet day oh that would be so much more enjoyable than riding the road for four hours five hours
2: yeah I don't know how you guys do it on the road in in the winter it's just like it's just miserable I think like there's no enjoyment on the when you're on the road bike and it's raining I don't think
0: yeah. well we move we move out of the UK basically <laughs> yeah we chase the I can't sun I not blame you <laughs>
1: Should we talk about enjoyment then, G, because this is something, Evie, that when I've looked at your career, this seems to be the thread that disappeared for a bit and then emerged again. So you've talked about how obsessed you were with the Olympics when you were younger, but then once you got into the system that would take most people to the Olympics with British cycling, that seems to be when maybe that thread of enjoyment began to disappear a little bit.
2: Yeah so I kind of did like the main um, like GB path like I looked around unis and it was just like just wasn't for me I knew I wanted to go to the Olympics and uni wasn't going to get me there so yeah I joined GB moved up to Marple and lived there like changed coaches and just just dedicated everything to riding and I think it got to like Christmas just before national champs and world champs and I, I hated it I'd I basically got like a road coach hadn't touched my mountain bike once riding on the road every day didn't know anyone in Manchester and just rode my bike on the road and came back and yeah got to Christmas mum and dad came up and I was like I'm finished I'm gonna do a ski season I'm really this is this is not for me this is not what I, I wanted to do um and dad just said okay well national champs is next week and then worlds is the week after that just just do one of them and just that then you can see like there's no point wasting all this training and then I entered nationals I won and then I won world champs and then kind of from there it it kind of yeah I had a little breakthrough I think Red Bull then messaged they got in contact with me and I think over then the two years I still I just felt for me the GB riding was just far too serious I just I lost all my friends I only rode and that's all I really had in my life and I just kind of thought that was normal and then I, I moved on to Trek I got sponsored by Red Bull I started working with a psychologist and yeah everything just changed I just went back to riding my bike like it used to when I lived at home and riding with the boys that I liked riding with and got my social life back and just became like back to me I think I'm quite a sociable person and I like having fun and yeah the like stale conditions of riding and then Lying down and not moving, it just it just wasn't for me, and that's and that's why I didn't really do road because i I didn't I didn't enjoy that stuff. and I think when you're going to these amazing places in Europe and you're just being told to rest around the races, it just feels like you're putting your life on hold for a bit and I, I kind of didn't want to do that anymore. So yeah, mainly the psychologist helped me find that spark back and feel very lucky that I started working with him quite young, really.
0: Good old dad as well. Gotta say, keeping you going for those two weeks, British Cycling, I got a lot to thank him for.
2: Yeah, no, he, he he's always been there. He's done a great job, really. But I've paid him back in bikes, I think.
0: <laughs> I get I get what you're saying, though. I remember, like, yeah, even as a junior, I don't know how old you were when you moved up to Manchester, but yeah, well, when we were junior riding for GB and stuff, it was just everyone telling you like lie down, rest, you know, and like we were in Moscow and stuff, and. Um, LA the other one were for the track and it was all about you know just yeah ride your bike and rest and I can definitely see like your type of character as well you just need to just be out there doing stuff you know as you say being social and so it's yeah great to see that you managed to find a way to continue that and to enjoy it and then obviously the, the success has continued to come it's, uh, yeah fair play
2: Yeah I think it's a funny one when you come especially from school when you're doing like riding and then I had a job at Waitrose or doing A-levels and then it's just like you just ride nothing else like no running no swimming no rounders I was just like you just lose all the spark for these sports and I I love doing sports so to stop them all because resting was just so important I think you just get a bit brainwashed and then you worry when you walk because you think oh I'm gonna ruin that session because I've walked to get my shopping or something so I just kind of got in my head really
1: did you find yourself getting really anxious before races, Evie, as well, which sort of makes sense, I guess, if you're in that path when you're putting a lot of weight on all your results and the end goal is the Olympics. But equally, if you're someone who's got into sport because you love it, feeling physically sick before a race is not a good place to be, is it?
2: Yeah, it was really weird. So I did a race. Um, I remember I went to Italy. Uh, I think actually it was on the border of Italy, Switzerland, and the one girl had sickness after, and she said she had food poisoning. I said, oh, yeah, that's strange, because, yeah, I was sick as well in the race. And then from then on, I was sick every race. I think maybe for nearly two years it was. And not for cyclocross, just for mountain bike. And I remember seeing the GB doctors, who were who were really helpful, but they just basically said, Evie, there's nothing wrong with you. And I just didn't believe them. They just said, oh, it's, it's all psychological. And I said, yeah, but I'm fine, like nothing's, nothing's wrong with me, so I had, like, endoscopy and checked everything, everything was fine, um, and yeah, it was just horrendous, like, I remember Cannes World Champs, I was sick during that, basically got heat stroke, was still being sick after the race, and yeah, again, it got to the stage where I was like, I can't do this anymore, as, I can't race and just keep being sick, um, and cyclocross, I was fine. Never had sickness ever in cyclocross. But for me, although I'd done well in it and I won a lot in cyclocross, it was always for fun. I always raced it purely for fun. And then that was when I started working with Rich. And since working with Rich, I haven't been sick since. And I didn't feel like I was putting a lot on pressure on myself for results or anything. um But obviously, you d- don't always know what's going on in your head. Really, I think that's what really surprised me. It's
0: crazy, isn't it? I think more so these days it's more it's talked about more and more people are aware of the whole psychology and things but it's mad how the the power of the your brain basically you know and how you you yeah how you see things how you think about stuff and this can affect like how you race massively
2: yeah no i think uh, i think my well i love my psychology i don't generally don't know what i'd do without him and i think probably don't need him as much anymore because he's figured out everything now but i think that there's. it surprises me even with downhill like not as many people use them as i would think but there's like so much pressure on such a short amount of time i i still think there's so much you can gain from using a psychologist even even though you might not think you have problems I, i i don't think they're there to find problems but i really think they can help with like race strategies and and everything around racing really
0: yeah that was one thing steve peters was really good at like we had a few um general chats with him i didn't really speak to him one-to-one too much but i did a little bit but n- not as much as um, some of the other guys that have said publicly that they worked with him and um yeah i guess i was fortunate that a lot of the things he said was kind of like how my mentality was anyway you know stuff like all you can do is get out there and do your best like why are you worrying about x y and z that you can't affect or this guy or that guy like he's got two arms two legs same as you like whatever you know it's just get out there and do your best you're not going to go out there and try to fail um and if it does go tits up you'll learn from it you know you'll look back see what went wrong and, and make sure that doesn't happen again and um that's kind of the way i thought about it but then hearing steve do his talks and say similar things along those lines it really cemented that like belief system almost in me to continue like that really and um yeah as i say you could be the best by far physically but if mentally you just something goes wrong or you, you, you trigger something you, it could be it you know
2: yeah and even now like I, I do a lot of race plans before my races and there's certain riders and you can see you can almost plan not that you want to plan your race around them but you know If you watch enough races, you can see how different females or, like, the girls I race against, how they respond to races. And I I think you can psychologically, like, crack them in a race. Like, you can see people's heads fall off sometimes. And, again, that's, yeah, all down to psychology, which is crazy. Because
0: Tom was chatting to me in an earlier episode, actually, about how Tom races cross. He's really bad, but he loves racing cross and getting muddy. (laughs) and uh, just a local thing and um, Tom was saying how if he has a bad start it's almost a good thing because then he can actually work his way through the field and psychologically that's good whereas if he has a good start he's with some guys who are a bit better and he ends up going backwards so uh, any tips for Tom?
2: Me or (laughs) God? No, I still haven't quite worked it out yet. I don't think,
0: <laughs> that's not but just I me. know
2: exactly. I, I know exactly what you mean. It feels good when you're overtaking people, but when I think, yeah, I think that's all down to pacing, isn't it? Because I always used to just ride off on the front, and I've learned actually, it's better, definitely psychological, just like pacing yourself and like riding up through the field rather than like completely blowing. But uh, is it is it like that in road then? Surely you've got hours of psychologically battling with your head. Yeah,
0: that's that's kind of the toughest bit, I guess. When you, are for instance, if you're on a mountain stage, like when I won the Tour, Alpe d'Huez stage, the climb before Alpe d'Huez, Quadrifoglio or something, it's I don't know, twenty odd k long, super hot. I actually felt pretty bad, and I was like, well, I need get some more fuel in me, drinking loads, and kind of came round a bit then, ready for Alpe d'Huez. But it could quite easily have cracked me there, you know, in the yellow jersey, feeling bad up this climb, knowing I've got one of the most iconic climbs in the tour to come um and then on that last climb exactly what you said about pacing and just sticking to your guns almost and fortunately i had egan setting the tempo so i could well if he could hear me because it's so loud on afterwards anyway but at least i could kind of control the tempo and um but it it is hard when it's another team for instance in your head if you've got this plan of how the day is going to pan out and then what you want to do on the last climb if the second to last climb team take it up and they go ballistic at the bottom and you're just like I'm on the limit here that psychologically that's the hardest I find for I'd say probably 99% of the peloton like when you look up and you see someone there you're like how is this guy making me hurt this much but you've just got to realize that they're actually only going to go another k or two and then the pace is going to settle down like they can't physically can't ride this fast and you're just telling yourself that and being able to i just got to dig in here you know focus on you know breathing or your peddling pedaling or whatever it is getting through that phase and then you know it's it all settle down and just yeah not not cracking in the head when we think about enjoyment evie one of the things that most people get to enjoy is meals
1: they get to enjoy the food now cyclists have always been obsessed about weight and cycling coaches have always been obsessed about weight and sometimes that makes sense from a riding perspective and a power perspective but equally, it can be really hard if you're a young rider, can't it?
2: yeah, definitely, I think again, that was another thing with g b like grew up, never had weighing scales in the house, mum didn't believe in them, and then obviously move away from home and then you're in control of all of that and again you're I think it was a it was just felt like at a time where it was just like weight was so important, it felt like you did skin folds in front of the rest of your team, and it was all that anyone ever spoke about was weight and Yeah, for me, I lost a lot of weight and then that kind of was a detriment. I lost my period and just always felt pretty crap in myself. Um, And again, working with... a site That's when I started working with Rich and Rini, a nutritionist, and we got my weight back. And I think that's when I won world champs last year. That was the difference. I won that race. I was happy. I had no idea what I weighed. I hadn't weighed myself in a year. I just... Just, it was just, I ate whatever I wanted. I was very just happy. And when I look back to when I won the cross worlds, I was, I remember like the day before, the night before I I didn't want to eat dinner because I felt like I was overweight coming into that race. And then I won worlds the next day, but it didn't matter because I felt like I didn't look right. So I think weight is, is such a big thing. And I, I know, I know it is important, but even now I just think I don't think there's for me the longevity I've always wanted to ride until I'm really old and I'm not going to get to that riding when I'm an old person if my bone density is terrible so I really think like now I I try and really promote like eating well and fueling yourself properly because I I think it's so important and I wish there was a role model I could have looked up to and and saw that because I think when I was riding the people I was looking up to were they were all underweight. They were all under fueling. And I, I don't think that's a great message. And I, I know I understand in some sports, it's, yeah, it, 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 you you do, it's part of the sport, but as much as I can, I really try and promote fueling yourself well and yeah, having a good relationship with food because I wish I had that when I was growing up.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And sometimes it's just body types as well. Like for me, I will never be as ripped as Adam Yates, who's just ripped. 12 months of the year he's got veins popping out of everywhere you know like <laughs> it's just different body types like and you might just you will be your optimum weight and you might just look like you're bigger compared to a girl next to you or a boy next to you it doesn't mean that you're fat or you're overweight or anything It's that your optimum weight is your optimum weight you know for your power and everything so yeah it's a big uh That's a good point to make. To be fair, it must be quite liberating, Evie, to have to have got to that
1: point mentally, and then to have felt the such obvious benefits physically as well.
2: Yeah, definitely. Like again, it took a lot of work with Rini. I remember when felt like she was against me when I first started working with her. I was like, she just wants to put make me put on weight and make me slow. Like, don't know what why why I'm working with her. And yeah, obviously now we're we're really good friends. So I'm seeing her next week, and I still think it's like one of those things that. you you can fix but it doesn't go away like before before I won world champs even though I hadn't weighed myself in a year and I was much happier I still thought oh god getting onto the start line like I'm so much bigger but compared to those girls and I was worried about my weight like although I wouldn't do anything to I wouldn't try and eat less to make me lose weight anymore ever um I was still worried before um I raced that world championships I felt a lot bigger compared to those other girls and then I won anyway. So I, I think things like that you just have to for me I have to just remind myself that it it doesn't it doesn't matter my weight. It just yeah, it's not really a relevant factor that comes into it. My my body stays at a constant weight when it's happy. So yeah, it feels yeah, much better now. I remember it was quite like a tiring time when you're worried about everything you're eating. It's like mentally exhausting. So yeah, it's it's a nice place to be when you can yeah, have eat whatever you want and not have to worry about it
0: yeah that's one big change i've had this year as well though is is eating more on the bike um because the last few years I've, I've been in a similar thing where you're like well i need to eat less so you're kind of doing all these low carb you know everyone goes on about low carb rides and you know barely eating on the bike really having a bit of protein and a couple of rice cakes in a six hour ride you know but then it's almost been total opposite this year. Eating a lot on the bike. You get back and you're not that hungry. So you don't eat as much, like when you underfuel so much on the bike, you're hungry and you end up eating more off it, which is just isn't a good thing anyway. And you know, you might end up snacking, you know, if you're just popping into the kitchen all the time and you're having a bit of this, bit of that. Before you know it, if you add up everything, you've eaten more anyway. So it's just like fueling properly at the right times and just People understanding that a lot more as well. You know, I think now on the bike, I think it's around like 60 to 100 grams of carbs an hour, which is like, oh, I don't know. So your typical, like, do you know the bake bars, SIS bake bars? They're like 30 grams in one of them. So it's almost three of them an hour, which is a lot. Like, it's hard to eat that much. So it's like, when we're training them, we actually have to eat more to. Train your gut to be able to absorb. I think they say 120 grams an hour is the op is the maximum. So we try to get to a stage where we can actually absorb that much and use it, which is crazy, really, so different to how we've done it. But yeah, it, it makes a massive difference as well, obviously.
2: Yeah, and I think that that's it. It's like that training, like I, even I did when I went on the road camp last year. Like sometimes I just forget. Like I generally don't do it on purpose. I just get back and my coach say, "Oh, what do you eat here?" I think oh banana I think like when I cracked at the end and I had to stop and when I was with the road girls I was so surprised because they just eating constantly and I couldn't even keep up with how much they were eating but then it felt like you could back up the next day and you can back up the following day and you don't get sick so there's so many good things that can come from fueling well.
0: 100% 100% what you say there as well it's the um what's the word now it's just doing it consistently and having that continuous structure really, you know, rather than barely eating for two days and then pigging out for a whole day and kind of, what's the point of, you know, you've just eaten everything that you should have eaten two days previous anyway. So it's, um, it's so much easier from the outside as well. Like, cause if it was me looking at another rider, it's, it's easy for me to spot those little mistakes and being like, well, just do this or that. But when it's you, you can get so wrapped up in it. And, um, I think every cyclist, pro cyclist must go through a similar thing. Some less so than others that are naturally just, you know, small and light. But
2: I think that's it as well. There's so many riders and everyone's doing not normally like to the extremes, but everyone's doing something quite differently. So it's easy to get caught up in thinking what you're doing is wrong or thinking you're not having the knowledge really to, to know how to feel, feel properly.
1: It must be really satisfying, Evie, because when you won the Worlds in 2021, that, that route in Trentino was clearly pretty hilly. And from the outside, it seemed like you were most powerful on the climbs. So climbing is meant to be the bit where you get obsessed with your weight and you can't climb properly unless you're a certain weight. The climbing was where you won it.
2: Yeah, I know. And I still look back and like, how? And even if, I swear in the commentary, they said, well, Evie's not a climber, so she probably won't catch balling And then... I did, and I, I again, yeah, that race. I was worried about my weight because it's such a hilly course, and people say, like, people are honest. They say, oh, well, you're not a climber, you know. Yeah, maybe next week will suit you better. Like, and everyone's quite honest with that. So yeah, I was, yeah, I was quite surprised that I, I, I did like shine well on the climb somehow. I'm not really sure, but I think that just shows like that training. I trained well. I was in a good place. I was happy and that all of those just came together on the climb and it yeah it shows it didn't really affect me at all
1: shall we talk about the commonwealth games i know gee it wasn't perhaps the fondest part of your year but evie you had a stormer first of all what was the the trail like around Cannock chase because people who listen to this show and like mountain biking will have ridden at Cannock chase it was one of the first dedicated mountain bike trails in the uk they redesigned it how was that for you
2: yeah, it's good. They've done a good job. Like Canic Chasers like for us XC riders, like the World Cup courses are progressing like harder and harder. Ev- every race is like more more technical. So stepping down to Canic is like I don't know how to describe it in road terms, but it's pretty easy like compared to the world cup three race but they definitely did like a good job of making new features and i think for me it's just cool that i know that that course will be there now for anyone else to ride all those people that came to watch it's there now and they can go and ride it so i I think it was just yeah some there's something special about having a home games for sure
0: maybe we should do that tom we've done madone we should go and do a it's a bit of a hybrid between your running and my road riding we can go and do a few laps of that I think that would definitely, having ridden Can it Chase plenty of times, that would definitely suit me more than the down. <laughs> <laughs> How about the race then, Because I remember watching that and you were, well, out in front for most of the race, right? Yeah,
2: well, it was a bit of a funny one. I, so I, I've had, I had really bad in, um, back injury all year. So I wasn't planning on racing it. Like I'm paid to race the World Cups, like at the end of the day. So on my schedule was to race. Um, I think they were out in Andor or something. So most of the World Cup, riders were at the World Cups because that's what we're all like kinda of paid to do. So I was kind of lucky that I had a bad back, which meant that I could actually do the Commonwealth Games. But then I don't know if you've I'm sure you've entered races where there's not the full field. So when you win, it's like great, I was so chuffed I won Commonwealth Games, but it's still inside I'm like, well there wasn't really all the top people here. So it for me it was like amazing to race. Like my granny and my nan uh, my nanny and my granddad were at the finish line. It was like insane. But it was just like, I could only have lost. I think that, I don't know if that sounds really big headed, but a lot of the top girls weren't there. So for me, I I went in a, a I had to win kind of thing. So yeah, I just like went off hard at the start and just held the gap that I wanted to hold. So yeah, luckily I had no punctures, nothing went wrong and just, yeah, it it went well. But I think when there's not all the people there you want to race, it doesn't, when you actually win and there's not all the top girls, you're not as like, happy with yourself you're just like oh
0: yeah I, I get that but at the same time a win's a win and you can only beat who's there and at the yeah, same no, time yeah, that is
2: true no I well my family they were all celebrating they had a yeah. big party in the garden and they were so happy but yeah for me I'm always probably a, a bit critical I'm always like, oh, but I don't know what it would have been like if everyone was here but yeah it was amazing to do and I really want to do it because it just feels like for me the Commonwealth Games and the Olympics that's what got me into the sport and like yeah I really wanted to try and inspire we we've got like I was world champ as well at that time and Tom had just raced the Olympics and I think just to keep that momentum going of like having mountain biking in the UK just to try and get more riders I really really felt like that was the most important thing of of going to the Commonwealth Games.
0: I gotta say as well another thing to be proud of is the fact just dealing with that pressure and expectation, because as you say, all you could do is lose. Like everyone is basically giving you the medal before you've even started the race. So I think dealing with that is a massive. You should take a lot from that as well. Just, you know, you had your injury. It was it was hard to just get back from that. So to go there, and well, tick the box sounds a bit too thing, but you know, to go there and, and win the race, it's um, it takes a lot. You know, I, I think people underestimate how much. Pressure that is, you know, just being expected to win, especially in a home, commie games and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So, don't be too hard on yourself.
2: I think G can be my new psychologist, can't <laughs> he? <they? laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
0: I got a flat fee, five hundred quid an hour. Sorry, sorry, Tom. I'm just selling
1: my uh,
2: <laughs> selling
0: myself. There was also Evie that very nice save. We don't like
1: to talk about uh, crashes on this show, um, which will make sense to you if you're familiar with Garrett's career. But there was that very nice save. Um, because the grass in that main field was a little bit slippery as a few people had problems. Your back wheel went out and then you just popped it back up and kept riding.
2: Well, it was because I was having quite clear time splits on the course and there was like a time gap I wanted to keep. And then someone must have gave me the wrong time gap or something must have happened because I came back through and then someone told me the time gap, she was closed it down by 30 seconds and I turned around and I saw her and I slipped. I was like... Where did she come from? So it was more, it wasn't really a, yeah, it wasn't supposed to crash. It was more like a shock that she'd like somehow closed down that gap. So yeah, luckily I saved that because um, I think it was Charlie Oldridge. I think the other boy from Scotland, I think he washed out there and he he ripped his rear mech. So yeah, it was lucky I didn't do that. But yeah, it was just a bit shocked. Like definitely it was probably mum probably gave me the wrong time split. She's not normally <laughs> very good at it. <laughs>
0: If she's anything like my mother-in-law, she's probably there with drinking her hand just like, oh yeah, 30 seconds, yeah, i will do. Yeah,
2: that's it, yeah. (laughs) I think they're all quite happy in that that race anyway.
0: So with all that you've been through, Evie,
1: what would your advice be to young riders listening to this?
2: I think it's just like like, maintaining as much of that social life as possible. Like, yeah, when I look back to when I did well in 21, like i was seeing all my friends i'd been on holiday to cornwall with my family which again i'd missed out on for four years and i think we all everyone is obsessed with like you've got to sacrifice everything And i just don't believe in that i really don't think you do i think you can have i think you can have a really balanced life and still do well and i think that's the important thing is not to put your life on hold just like try and ride and race alongside of doing all those things that you like to do and just just to find that balance, you don't need to sacrifice everything. I don't. I don't really believe in that, if I'm honest.
0: Oh, Tom, I think that's a great way to wrap it up. I think Evie, what you just said there, just I think I have <laughs> met you before, but this is the first time I've spoke to you properly, and I think you're a perfect role model. So much people should know about you a lot more than some of the other people out there on Instagram or whatever. <laughs> I think uh, unbelievable person. You know, I think you do so much good as well. So. Uh, good luck with uh, the rest of this season anyway and thanks oh, for coming on thank you on. very
2: much and yeah i by the way I, I listen to your podcast a lot when i'm training i love listening to it if i'm on a road bike in the rain it's normally it's normally your podcast on so um great good job best guest
0: ever <laughs> confirmed
2: <laughs> amazing thank you
0: nice one cheers thanks a lot Tom, we've got a new sponsor for season three, and I think we're all going to benefit from this one. Yeah, we know how much
1: you all love coffee, especially on a bike ride. So we've only gone and partnered up with Origin Coffee. Not only that... But we've got you a very chunky discount too. Not a bad start to the season from our chairperson. Yeah, gee, I'm on it from the word go, you know that. A little bit about Origin Coffee then. So they're pioneers in sourcing and roasting some of the highest quality specialty coffee on the market today. In fact, they launch a new coffee every week. Right, so how are we getting our hands on this
0: to taste then, G? Well, I've already done that for you. I've tried Resolute. I would describe it as chocolate, stone fruit, bit of caramel.
1: Have you just read that off the label?
0: Yeah, but I did choose it because it's no nonsense. It's just a classic, proper coffee, you know? If you want to try
1: Origin Coffee, just like G, you can get 30% off all coffee and pods by going to origincoffee.co.uk and using the code GTCC30 at checkout. All online orders are roasted and shipped the same day and they have a rewards program so customers can earn points and get cash back every time they shop online.
0: That's code GTCC30 at checkout. Go and get yours today. Enjoy. Tom, Zwift are back for their third season, sponsoring the GTCC. Which means our Wednesday 6pm group rides continue. Exactly. Just hop on your trainer, open up the Zwift app and join the group ride. You get to ride alongside us, all our club members and wear the in-game GTCC jersey. And if you're new to Zwift, just go to Zwift.com to start your free trial today. During this season of the pod, we're going to be walking you through all the new stuff we've been trying out on the app. Just think of us as your testing team. So Chairman Tom, what have you been trying this week? This week, G, I have been
1: riding headfirst into clubs on Swift. Did you know you can join up to 10 clubs and you can have up to 10,000 people in one club? There's also a new recommendation setting too to help you find them more easily and find like-minded communities. In your club, you can create club rides, races, structured group workouts. So I reckon, gee, it's probably about time we got an official GTCC club going on Swift. We'll be able to send you all notifications to keep you in the
0: loop about what's happening. Sound good, G? It does indeed, Tom. And big news for this Wednesday's club ride at 6pm UK time. I'm going to be leading it, and I'll be joined by this week's podcast, Anna van der Breggen. Massive. See you all Wednesday. Right, Tom, it's time for any other business. What's on the agenda today?
1: Item number one, Geraint. A shout out to James Coxon, who's posted in the GTCC Facebook group, to say, After achieving the hour record for a recumbent trike this year, I've been training again at the... Get this, Geraint Thomas National Velodrome of Wales for next year's nice. challenge. Great support from them during their disability sessions. He
0: says, "I like to think G would be proud." Extremely proud. Any opportunity to say the Geraint Thomas National Velodrome of Wales is always a great shout out. But no, yeah, fair play. Good to see us um, well come into good use. Birthplace of champions, that's what it is. Exactly.
1: We've also been fielding a number of food-related questions for you in recent weeks, Geron, and another one has come in. This is a dichotomy that I personally don't agree with. It's cheese and
0: onion versus salt and vinegar. Um, I'm guessing crisps, right? I think so, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I don't know what else it would be, to be fair. <laughs> on, on your chips, cheese and onion chips. Um, oh, it's got to be salt and vinegar. You say that like it's a fact. To be honest, I would
1: turn my nose up at both those flavours. I think they're the two worst flavours in the in the really? whole. Oh
0: yeah, they're too to honest, they're too Tom, sour, too tart. Being a vegetarian, your options are limited already. I wouldn't cancel out two options that are vegetarian friendly straight away. What do you go for? Well, wait till you get to the second part of your food-related
1: questions. This one comes from Neil Hawkhead, who would like to know. Burger King or McDonald's? Neil, without spoiling the surprise, my answer is the same, which is neither.
0: <laughs> um, phew, I haven't had one for ages, but it'd probably be McDonald's. I think the chips are a bit better, aren't they? I don't know. But then know. If, there, if there was a KFC up for grabs, I'd go for a KFC. Interesting. Probably the most unhealthy, but wow, oh, that chicken's so good. Tom, just just once, just just don't be a vegetarian, just one night. That's not how it works. Really? Just one, <laughs> just one time. I, <laughs> I'm going to steer you towards a cycling question, G, that has
1: come in from Joe. Joe would like to know, how do you or your coaches judge how much volume and intensity you can handle without overtraining or risking injury? Uh, the second part of this from Joe is, what can enthusiasts who are serious but not gifted pros do to find that sweet spot, especially with some cross-training in there?
0: Thoughts? Well, it's, um, it's difficult. It's a bit like trial and error, really. It's It's understanding your body and knowing... How much you can take and I think it's um you can do a lot more than you realise, I think. But one thing Shane Sutton always used to say was you can't overtrain, you can just underrest. Which I wouldn't say is hundred percent accurate, but there's definitely yeah, a lot in that. I think, you know, um if you do rest up properly and you recover properly, you can do a lot more the next day and things, you know, but that's hard in the real world when you've got a job and things. Um but yeah, it's basically trial and error, I think. You know, try and build up. Um, don't be, try and be all intensity. You know, the odd long general ride is always good. Um, so, yeah, just just mix it up a bit and, and see. Stuff you enjoy
1: doing as well always helps because you're going to do more of that. I think that's the key thing, particularly bearing in mind everything we've heard from our guests today. I'm going to suggest the Richard's rule. Let's call it the Richard's rule, which is basically if you're loving it as an amateur, do it. If you're having fun, keep doing it. If it's not fun,
0: sack it off. Exactly. What well, a great way to end that question, Tom. Loving it, loving it, loving it. See you next week. See you next week.
1: That was the Garrett Thomas Cycling Club. Thanks to Club Secretary Louise Gawilliam, Heads of Music Emma Hickman and Frank Beecher, Head of Social Archie Biltcliffe, and our Honorary President Mike Carr. But most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next time. Ciao, ciao.